This interview was conducted during the 2020-2021 winter break. Welcome to Project Teachers Lounge, where we talk to educators about their time working during the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Shane T. Watson, and I'll be your host. To the K-12 educators out there, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your service as a teacher. Y'all do a lot during a regular school year, and to be doing it during a pandemic, just wow. Y'all have the utmost appreciation, admiration, and respect from me. You are a true superhero for putting in the extra work to help students become the leaders they will be in the future or whatever they decide to become. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited talking about teaching and kind of the work that I do and my students. I do it for them. This is Jasmine. Jasmine is a 10th and 12th grade math teacher in Chicago. She's also the executive director of Lions Pride, a nonprofit that you founded during the pandemic or pre-pandemic? Pre-pandemic. We're in year two uh, of our our nonprofit status and it's still very much a baby, but I'm excited about it as well. Yes. So Jasmine is doing a lot. Um, So Jasmine, how are you doing? I, you know, right now, I mean, it's, it's winter break. I'm excited about being able to just relax and rejuvenate. Um, I think that it's been both a sprint and a marathon in terms of this fall semester so far. And so I'm excited to be able to relax and enjoy um, just some downtime and doing some things I don't usually get to do when I am teaching full time. Um, And I'm really looking forward to this new year and the new semester when we come back from winter break. Um, Try to be as optimistic as possible. You know, 2020 was 2020. Um, and it continues to be 2020 and, and you know, these last days as well. Um, but I'm also looking forward to the new opportunities that are going to be available to me and to my students in 2021. Nice. Um, and so let's talk about how you became a teacher. Oh, duh. Forgot to say, me and Jasmine went to undergrad together at Rhodes College. Um, so we have a history. We've known each other since 2010. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we kind of go way back to the college days, which were fun. Um, So how did you become a teacher? So it's really interesting, uh, my like journey and my pathway, because I was a psychology major at Rhodes and I was really interested in going directly into like a PhD master's program straight out of undergrad. And um, I just didn't get accepted in any schools. And so that's something that I think a lot of people expected me to be able to get into any school I wanted because I was very active at Rhodes and very involved in lots of things and it just didn't happen for me. And so I remember um, visiting uh, someone at Career Services just to talk to them. And there was a session for citizen schools. And um, I was like, well, let me just pop in here and see what this is about. And so I went to the session, it was really interested. And I remember applying um, online and I was typing in my different places I wanted to go. And I typed in New York at first. And when I click submit, my application didn't go through. So I was like, Okay, so I tried it again, and then this time I put Chicago, and then it went through. So super, though, that whole part, that process, just applying was like, okay, I'm meant to be in Chicago. And that was right around the the teacher strike back in um, 2013. And so that became even more apparent. I'm like, all right, this is the reason why I'm here in Chicago doing education at this time. And so I did Citizen Schools, um, which is another nonprofit teaching organization that works with schools. And through that, I got to work in two different middle schools here in Chicago. 
And then I ended up applying to the high school that I currently work at. And so that's kind of my pathway to teaching. Um, and just from there, it's been a lot of really great coaches, really great mentors, really great master teachers that have taken me under their wing, kind of developed me into the teacher I am today. Uh, and it's, it's been quite the journey and very unexpected, you know, very different from going to grad school and studying social psychology to being a math teacher, you know, for the past almost eight years now. Um, and so it's been really exciting work and I'm really excited about everything that I get to do. So that's an interesting path. And I want to, I don't want this to sound conceited at all, but I also want to say, so I had a, I had some sort of role in you becoming a teacher. Cause I don't know if you remember this, but I used to, my, I had damn near a full-time job in career services, my soft senior and junior year of college, which would have been my junior would have been your senior year. Mm -hmm. And I do remember dealing work, dealing with working with citizens school. So I, I can remember the logo specifically like, Oh, Oh, so that's interesting to know. That's like how this all worked out. <laughs> and I had a similar situation. Like when I graduated undergrad, I didn't know, I had no idea what I was going to do. I actually ended up in a school ironically, but I applied to a different uh, nonprofit that does kind of like teachers aides in schools. And I applied for new Orleans and I got accepted for a position in Baton Rouge. And I was like, that's not where I applied. So, and I don't know, it wasn't like it didn't go through. It just happened to, they were like, oh, what about Baton Rouge? I'm like, no. Um, so I didn't go that route, but I did end up in a school as well. Um, took a different route, but that's great that you took the route, loved it, and you're still there eight years later because it still is crazy. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're like this far out removed from undergrad. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so are you teaching virtually, hybrid, in person? How's that going for you right now? We're virtual. We've been virtual since March. Um, and so it's been interesting, definitely some learnings from last semester in March and done a lot of things differently this semester with being virtual. This is Chicago. We got sirens. It is what it is. <laughs> so um, yeah, we've been teaching virtual. And so I think it's been great. The kind of way that we're doing it is almost like a flipped classroom setup where students are doing the work before we get to our synchronous class sessions. And then it's more of a review um, and almost like a reteach of what they did, you know, on their own time before they came to class. And so I think some kids have really latched onto that. They like being able to work at their own pace. Uh, the system that we're working with is self-guided. It gives kids direct, you know, feedback. If they check an answer, they tell them right or, you know, whether it's right or wrong. And so I like that it's interactive. And so it took us a while to figure out that that's the route we wanted to go. And I think that some students really appreciate it, but also some students really like having the direct instruction piece of it. And so I think it is a good balance between students that want to work on their own. They have that ability, but they also know that they're going to have time with me to go over everything and have me explain more, you know, specific details around maybe some concepts that they don't fully understand. Actually, well, that's nice that y'all have kind of, y'all had the time to figure out and y'all didn't like, oh, we're going to go back in person. Y'all like, we're just going to stick virtual. It's going to work that way. And I feel like Chicago's kind of been, the mayor of Chicago has kind of been like very like upfront, like this is how we're doing things. This don't like, don't question me. It's how we're going to do it. Uh, from what I've seen from the outsider. Um, I do want to note that my camera will go off for a second, but I'll be here. It'll say like EOS utility thing. It, I'll still be here to just pop back on. Uh, I keep forgetting to tell people that. So like, let me let you know beforehand. Um, so let's go back to August. Uh, you're in high school. So there are, I doubt you have the same students year after year, but you might have, some students that you had in 10th grade and 12th grade, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah. Um, but for those students you haven't had before, 
How did you go about building those relationships with the students and with the parents since you're not actually in person? Yeah. So I think because of Lions Pride, it is a program where we have upperclassmen mentor ninth graders. And so with me teaching 10th grade, some of the students that were in that program, obviously I teach as 10th graders. And so I had some relationships with those students. Um, and my school also has this thing called advisory, where it's like a homeroom you keep for all four years. And I had an advisory that was ninth grade girls last year that are now 10th grade girls. And so there was a lot of students that I did know and had some experience with. Um, but for the students I didn't know, we also got, you know, tons of transfers in and I administered a get to know you survey. And so it was for students to fill out as well as parents. Um, and the kind of purpose behind that is twofold. It's one for me to get to know students as well as their parents. And then also for the parents to have my contact information and vice versa. And so that's something that I try to do some sort of get to know you either game when we're in person or some sort of survey um, since we're virtual, because I really think it's important for me to know Kind of especially with math being how it is and some kids really have very strong aversions to math it's really important for me to know that ahead of time so that way I know kind of like okay if this student is struggling like they have this mindset that I have to help them with and I have to be able to support them through kind of being more you know growth mindset oriented um, and so I think it just helps me to think about my students um, from that perspective, and then also thinking about what are their strengths? What are the things that I can leverage? What are their interests? How can I use their interest if they're confused about a concept and how can I relate it to their interest? And so that's something that's important to me virtually as well as in person. And I think that helps a little bit, but definitely I'm a relational teacher and even being virtual and having this background information, still very difficult to try to create those relationships with kids virtually. You said a few things, a bunch of things I want to touch on. One, your relational teacher. If you don't know Jasmine, Jasmine is very smiley, very bubbly. Jasmine, like her smile can light up a day, light up. Like you can be sad, Jasmine will smile and it's just like, oh shit, like let me get my life together because Jasmine just smiled. <laughs> um, and you're also on meeting students where they're at. Like that's one of the biggest things I learned the one year I worked in a school is that not everybody's on the same level and you got to meet them where they're at. You got to know them to do that for one. So that survey is probably huge for you. And then also teaching students and helping students have a growth mindset. Like you can't be negative all the time. You gotta think like there are possibilities and being able to give a student that or help a student get that mindset is huge, especially with math. I've talked to other math teachers and they're like, you know, there's this, this weird thing where students just hate math because somewhere along the line to high school, like there was just a bad situation with math and they just never liked it again. And I feel like, I was like, damn, I had one of those too. I remember I just had a terrible teacher. Um, and I used to love math. So that's great that you're able to use a tool like a survey to get to know a student and really use that like, oh, you like basketball, you like hip hop. How can you use that to help them learn math? Which is like, what math? And I mean, I'm just doing an example. I imagine that's something you learned that a student like basketball. Um, yeah, I think one of the questions was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my favorite answer was either a part-time mechanic or an NBA player. And I just thought that was such an interesting <laughs> It was both oddly specific and a very interesting combination of, of, of future jobs. And so it's like, okay, cool. Like, that's what you're interested in. So like, now the MBA is back. I'm going to bring some of that in um, to, to my classes, hopefully, and try to be able to use some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's really important to me that I, I also do a get to know me the first day of class. And so I talk about my family and my journey and my history, because I think it's really important for students to know me as well. And I think when it comes to me being a relational teacher and just a relational person in general, trust is the foundation of every relationship. 
And so I think the way that I establish trust is by, you know, reading every survey I give students and then letting them know like, hey, here's what I saw in the survey. Here's what I'm going to do about it. I like to give quarterly surveys to kids um, to see how class is going and seeing what I can do to be better. And what are some things that like maybe they want to reflect on about their own either grade, their own performance in class. And so those are things that I also do again in person as well, because I think getting student input is so important. And I think that's one thing for me that that collaborative nature is, is, is different this year. And it's more difficult this year. I want to get kids feedback. I want to be able to hear in the moment, oh, you're confused right now. All right, let's take a break. Let's pause before we move on to the next thing. And it's really hard for me to, to gauge that with kids right now, because half of them don't have their cameras on. And, you know, that's okay, because sometimes I'm not in the place where I can have my camera on either. And that definitely is a struggle for me, because I am such a relational person, especially when it comes to teaching. So speaking of cameras being off, how do you, how do you teach when the camera, how do you, how do you function? How do you teach to students who don't have cameras on? Like, how are you able to do that right now? I think for me, I use my, uh, my iPad to project out my work so that kids can at least see my screen. They can see the work that I'm doing. Um, we utilize the chat a lot in my class for shout outs, for trash talking and for playing, you know, an interactive game. Um, and so it's, it's just, that's kind of the way that students have been engaging. And so trying to just, again, think about the strengths that students are bringing to the table, thinking about meeting them where they're at. Most kids are not comfortable having their cameras on. Cool. Let me find a different way to engage my students. Um, some students aren't comfortable talking in class. Okay. Let's meet one-on-one -on -one for one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions. Um, and so it's just, again, really leveraging the different platforms and different opportunities I do have virtually to try to figure out the best way to approach students. Um, and kind of tailoring my approach depending on what students' needs are. You're teaching virtually, and eventually you'll go back to in-person, we hope. What are some methods and strategies that you've used to teach virtually that you'll want to incorporate when you go back to in-person? I think one thing that kids really like is the ability to share their answer anonymously, um, either through the chat or sometimes I use the, the poll feature in Zoom. And so I think some way for students to be able to anonymously submit their answers and me be able to see all the answers at once would be great to continue in person because I think sometimes I like collect answers or I have students use whiteboards to show their answers, but it's still not anonymous. And I, you know, there's lots of students that I knew from their ninth grade year that were much quieter in person, but they're lining up the chat and chatting me privately, all these different thoughts they're having. And so thinking about different ways for students to show their answer is something that I'm really excited about exploring when we're in person. Um, and then I also think just continuing to harp on the importance of community. I care a lot about that. And I think my students really do appreciate that about me, but how can we continue that community orientation when we come back to in-person, especially because, you know, these are students who had their ninth grade year cut short essentially because, you know, school wasn't in person after March for them. And so like, they really had like a year like half a year really to really get to know their peers. And so they're gonna need a lot of support around how to engage each other when they're in person because they didn't really get that experience for their ninth grade year. Um, and so how to create that community and thinking about different ways to create community is something I'm gonna take back to, to in-person instruction with me for sure. And what are some things that you used to do in person that you can no longer do virtually? I think small groups. Uh, I'm a big small group teacher. I love for students to collaborate with each other. And it's just, it's really difficult. Even in breakout groups, you know, I want to be able to monitor all of them at once. And no platform has that feature yet. So who, student, the first person to ever do that is going to make all the money. 
um, because that's something that teachers really want is the ability to see all the groups at once and be able to easily pop in and pop out. Um, and I'm just not able to do that in person. And so that's why we utilize the chat feature a lot. Um, I also like just having kids really, here's a really tough problem. I want you all to try it and we'll come back together. And I just don't have the time to give them that time to work through a really challenging problem. Um, at least not during, you know, our time together. That's something I can give them on the front end and they can work on it in class, but it's not quite the same as them being like, oh my gosh, this is so difficult, but I have three other people to bounce ideas off of. So I feel more comfortable being able to do this versus I got this work ahead of time by myself. I'm by myself in my home environment working on this really difficult problem. And I really am not motivated to do it because I don't have my peers. I don't have my teacher kind of there to support me and motivate me to try to work through this. I, you made a good point. That whole, like, can I monitor multiple groups at one, at one time? I have the same want for a different, not for teaching, but like there's another use of that that I think would be great to have. So you're right. Whoever can figure that out quickly, <laughs> they might get all the money um, if it's possibly. Um, and you mentioned ninth graders losing the end of their, their first year. What about, were you teaching 12th graders last year and how was that end of semester for them? Yeah, I think it was um, really difficult for a lot of reasons. I think the higher up you go, especially in high school, a lot of kids are working right now too. And so a lot of kids, the way that our class structure is, is that students don't have to attend these sessions with me. And so I have class sessions, as long as they do their work, they get the grade, but they don't have to come to the sessions. And so there was a lot of students who were working during that time who weren't coming to sessions and also like, unfortunately not turning in their work. And so I think that that definitely impacted the end of their senior year in terms of preparing them for these college level classes. And I think as a math teacher in particular, for me, I know that the stakes are so high. I think the national average is like almost 50% of college freshmen fail their first math class in college. And so I think that that is huge. And that's something that we in my math team, you know, in my school, we've talked a lot about how can we make sure we're setting our kids up for success when they are going off to college and taking that first math class. And I am curious to see where they are, you know, this year, but I think that that was definitely an adjustment for them to go from, you know, not having to attend classes and I don't know what their college expectations are to like, you have to attend classes. And so your work schedule has got to be based around your class schedule. And I think that's also a great opportunity for them to think about like, that's a real life skill is how you can, you know, schedule classes on top of your work schedule. Um, but I would say it was definitely a struggle to get kids to come to class because I know that they were working and they were doing other things. And uh, I definitely am worried about kind of like how they're doing in college. I'm interested to hear where they are, but I think it's both grade levels. I see struggled a lot with that transition in March because it was the end of the school year versus I think this year we've established expectations. We've established so many different procedures and policies that I think are allowing students to kind of orient themselves in a way to be more self-sustained when it comes to planning their schedules, whether they are working, whether they're not working, how to make sure that they're staying on top of their grades, how to make sure they're staying on top of their workload. Um, and so I think we're better preparing students now than I think we did last year. Gotcha. And I had it, I lost it. It's going to come back. Got it. Uh, you said students were working uh, last March and thinking about what the pandemic has done to a lot of industries, did you face any situations where you had students who were either out of work or their parents were out of work and they're facing hardships? And what does your, what resources does your school offer to these families? 
Yeah, so I think that my school district has just been very supportive. We have resources for parents in terms of uh, financial resources for parents if they're struggling, they have some sort of financial hardship. Um, I haven't known any students specifically that have reached out and said, hey, my family's really struggling. Like, what are some resources? I think that Chicago in general has done a really good job about trying to make sure that we are providing resources. The governor's done a really great job with providing those resources. And so um, I definitely think there's a lot of students who have said to me, though, that they are working now because their parent lost their job. And I think that that is something that I, you know, I worked in high school and under different circumstances. And I think that I'm very much on the, the side of you do what you got to do. And let me figure out how to best support you when it comes to your education. Um, because I think that that, again, that's part of meeting kids where they are is that in this moment, like they have to work and they're the one who has the financial opportunity and their parent is probably trying to get financial opportunity, but also like, again, like different industries are impacted, the jobs are scarce. And so I think if they are able to get a job, that is a great thing. And so we need to honor that and celebrate that and also try to be as supportive as we can to make sure they're still getting an education so that they can do other things if they choose to after they finish high school. And so I think it's, I'm, I'm the person that's supportive of all students and you do what you got to do. And let me figure out how to support you. And sometimes that means I meet with a kid at eight o'clock in the morning to do office hours, or I'm meeting with a kid at like 6 PM to do office hours when they get out of their shift or, you know, they, they don't come to class, but they do all the work. And then um, they sign up for office hours and they meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. And so I think it's really about that flexibility piece when it comes to being a teacher and supporting students is. Being flexible also within reason, because I do definitely believe in work-life balance and I have a thousand things that I play on a daily basis. And so setting clear boundaries with kids, but also letting them know that there is still flexibility within the boundaries that I set. Nice. I think in this time of the pandemic that it's very valuable to students to have somebody like you who's like, all right, we, I can work with you. Like, I understand where you're at. Let me work with you, but also communicate with me so that I can work with you. So I'm just here to help you as much as you allow me to help you. And it makes me think of outside of the pandemic losing jobs. Another situation was people being affected by COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Have you had any situation where students or their families have been directly impacted by COVID-19? I know schools can't tell you based on HIPAA mm -hmm. uh, rules, but you might know through just students telling you. Yeah, I um, have had a couple of kids who've lost family members to COVID-19. Um, and so students who've been exposed and exhibiting symptoms and, you know, the wide range of impact from COVID-19. And so again, the, the messaging is still very much there. Like, I'm here to support you. You let me know how I can support you. Because um, I think that it's really difficult to kind of do a one size fits all of like, all right, if a kid has COVID-19, here's what we're going to do. Well, if a kid loses a parent, here's what we're going to do. Like, it's, it's case by case, it's situation by situation. Like, the two kids who lost parents had very different stories. Um, one of them was really close to family member and they easily just stayed with that family member. The other kid, it, it's a struggle for them that they're trying to find a guardian for them. And so I think that those two situations are dealt with very differently because of the student needs are very different. And I think that that's kind of the approach we have to take with all of these is that it is very case by case and there is no one size fits all for the support that our students need and the recovery time. You know, like there's the mental, there's the mental recovery as well as there's the physical recovery of COVID-19. Um, and so I think that that is something that we have to address as it arises 
And that's the kind of thing we have to plan for. And we have to be flexible to be able to accommodate all of those things because no two students are ever the same in any regular year. But especially now, you know, students are very different. And even on a day-to-day -day basis, the student might be fine on Monday and then Tuesday something happens and their their motivation, their mindset is completely different than it was on Monday. And you have to adjust course and be as flexible as you can and, and be as supportive as you can. But there also is that, again, collaborative nature that students have to take some ownership over things and they have to communicate their needs to, to us as teachers. Wow, that you've had students that have lost parents because that's like we, I feel like we have this weird thought. I will say weird. I had this weird thought. It's like, and we were told that it's like the old people, the old people, and granted, kids can have parents who are on the older spectrum. I definitely had those friends in high school. But just imagine losing your parent to COVID 19 in high school is just, to me, devastating. And I'm hoping those students are getting the help they need and kind of healing and whatever that is for them, because that is just, a devastating situation to have to deal with. Um, kind of lost my thoughts on that one because that's just, wow. Um, well, I guess we'll just switch it up. What's been a highlight for you this semester? Let's just change the trajectory of this conversation. What's been a highlight for you this semester? Anytime I think about a highlight, I think about my advisory. Um, and so, my school has advisory where you assigned to advisory your freshman year, you stay with that group with instructor students until they graduate. And so when I first started teaching at the school, I start I teach at now in 2016, I had a, my first advisory. And so they graduated in 2019. And I started the whole process over again. Um, and, and I forget that there's a special specialness to freshman girls, <laughs> to put it lightly. And I was really like last year, like, why did I sign up and do this again? <laughs> um, but throughout all of this, it's just been, the girls have been so supportive of each other. Um, we've had a few transfers in. And so anytime they come in contact with the transfers, they're like, hey girl, how are you? Here, here I am, let me know if you need help with anything. And so just the community that we have built in advisory this year, it just warms my heart. And it's one of my favorite times of the day, um, just being able to, you know, joke around with them and, you know, check in with them and see how they're doing. And we've definitely had our highs and we've had our lows, um, but I am really excited about them. And then I think also um, the Lions Pride programming has been great for me. Um, so I am ED of the nonprofit as well as I still run the program at my school where it was founded. And being able to be in those conversations and talk about, um, just current events and talking about, you know, how students are doing and mental health struggles and the different, you know, things that we cover in our social emotional learning curriculum is just um, amazing to see the students really engage with the material, but then also thinking about the students that I have as 12th graders now, you know, this is the first year where we have students who were mentees, there were ninth graders in the program who are now mentors. And so for me, being able to see their journey from that quiet ninth grader who like would barely talk to their mentor, so now they're really active and they're leading a session and they're the ones that are kind of leading the discussion is really great for me to see that growth for them, um, as well as just the content of our conversations. Like, I don't think I ever walk away from those sessions with a frown on my face. I walk away from those sessions every single day, really excited about the next session, just really happy that this programming exists for these students because it's a great way for them to connect to each other um, and really building that community that I, I really appreciate. And they've just done a great job with that virtually. So I think my two biggest things are just 
the ways that students have been able to found community during this virtual time, because it's really important to me and to be able to see it happen virtually is really great. Community, it definitely helps to keep your mind running, keep it, keep your mental health up. Are there certain um, procedures that you guys are doing at your school to help students with their mental health during this time? We've kind of instituted a check-in question, either um, a poll through Zoom or through some other, uh, other or website where we are checking in with students. It's either like a funny question that we ask kids uh, to begin the session, or it's a like, how are you doing today? And then kids just respond anonymously to how are you doing today? And so I think that has been really great to kind of gauge the energy because it's really hard to gauge energy virtually, even if kids are on camera. You know, it's still really hard to gauge energy and how students are really feeling. And so being able to do those check-in questions, I can get a snapshot of, oh, all of my students are really struggling today. Cool. I got to really bring the energy today. Um, another thing that I really love is like, I love music. And so like I, every year, um, create a class playlist on Spotify where kids can collaborate and add different songs. And so I play that at the beginning of each class as kids are entering in. And so I think that that kind of helps to set the mood and make kids feel good. Um, and kids try to sing in the chat box and it's really funny. Um, it's just, it's really just all caps type of the lyrics to the songs. And um, sometimes kids will be like, what's the name of this song? And so it's just a really cool connection to the students as well. Um, we also have a social worker who is great and she's been meeting with a lot of students and doing lots of check-ins with students as well. And I think, for my office hours, you know, even if there are academic office hours, I still do my check-ins with students in those spaces as well. So it's really about checking in with students at every single, you know, interaction, and then also encouraging students to reach out if they are experiencing struggles and um, just always thanking them for, for sharing their experience and, and their struggles with us, because I know it's really difficult to be vulnerable, especially in this virtual space, um, because it's hard to form relationships, it's hard to feel the energy and get a read for what people are really thinking virtually. And so I always thank students when they share any information with me in regards to their mental health um, that I can use to, to support them. Just a quick aside, did you have, did you take life research at Rhodes? I was a searcher. Never mind. the next question isn't necessary then. <laughs> the professor did the same music thing that you use um, with your students. Um, and you mentioned having social workers to help students, you know, the check-in with students and all, all that type of stuff. Are they also checking in with students who might not be, what, basically, what's the attendance in your class or when kids show up and there are like the involvement, engagement, maybe not in classes y'all aren't required to come in class, but if students aren't turning in work and they also aren't showing up for class, uh, what are, are you reaching out to families? Are social workers doing that? What's that, um, what's the impetus on you doing this work? Good question. So a lot of it goes through the advisor. Um, and so my role is for my 17 girls that I have is every two weeks, minimally, I'm calling parents to check in um, and letting the parents know, like, here's what I'm seeing in their grades. Here's what I'm seeing, you know, from them in, in advisory time. Um, here's where I think we can support. Is there anything else? And so the advisor is really that person at our school that is doing those check-ins with parents. I think when we have students who are, you know, attendance having attendance struggles, um, as well as students who are having academic struggles, then we do have our um, MTSS, which is kind of like a intervention support system that we have for students. Um, 
that team of teachers, the social workers on that team, as well as a couple of administrators, they are the team that has been tasked with creating action plans for those students. Um, and so it's a, it's a two-tiered kind of approach. Like everybody has their advisor who is calling parents. And then there is the MTSS team who is doing kind of like students who are more of the extreme cases. Um, I have not reached out to any parents directly as an instructor this year. I have in the past. Um, but I have had parents reach out to me. And again, like I encourage parents to reach out to me if they have any specific questions. And so I'm very responsive to parents that way. Um, but I think in, in this time, we've kind of tried to streamline it because we're doing a lot of work during this time virtually. And so my role is really with my advisory girls right now. Um, but what's really great, and sometimes not so great, is that I teach my advisory girls this year because they are 10th graders. And so I can also speak to the geometry class piece as well because I, I am their instructor for that course. Gotcha. And I didn't ask you, how many students do you have per class this year? So hmm, one of my classes is 27, one of my classes is 34, and then one of my classes is 18. So yeah. <laughs> and so when they're not required to be in class on your virtual, whatever virtual platform you're using, how many tend to show up to class? So it varies by class by class. Um, it was, it's surprising to me, my 34 kid class has the best attendance record. Um, like their attendance is in the 60, 70 percent. Um, my 27 kid class probably has the mid-range one there in like the 40s and 50s. And then my 18 student class is like the 20s to 30s, but that's my senior class. And so again, a lot of them are working and like they're also very self-sufficient. And so I think that's why a lot of them aren't showing up for class as well. Um, so attendance is also all over the place when it comes to, to my different classes as well. Gotcha. You mentioned having conversations with the advisory students about social issues and the content of those conversations never leave you upset or anything like that. Have you... March, May, April, June, March, May, Lord, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and so on. I felt like there was a resurgence of focus on um, supporting Black lives and focus on police brutality and all the protests that were happening. Have you had the conversations with your students, with your colleagues, with um, parents about these issues, and how has that gone for you, if so? Yeah, so... I would say our school district is um, always had diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of our, you know, core values. Same with our school. And so we have had, you know, DEI sessions and learning sessions, you know, for the past three years at my school. And so it's a combination of reflection for educators, but it's also part of our development around how these issues can play out in our classroom, how we can cover these issues as they play on our classroom. And I think that's been a really great toolkit for myself and a lot of my colleagues. Um, study social psychology, studied racial privilege at Rhodes. So, you know, it wasn't new for me, um, but it was nice that this, I was coming into a school where this was a priority and that it was important for us to discuss. And so I think because we have those staff sessions where we're educating ourselves, when I have to have those conversations with students, it makes it a lot easier. Um, I think I haven't had, being a math teacher, I haven't had a lot of direct conversations with my students, students, but advisory, we talk about everything. We talk about like, female troubles. We talk about like Netflix shows. And so I think it's kind of like a hangout space where we have real and honest conversations. Um, and I like to leave those conversations with the students. I don't want to ever put my, you know, ideas and my thoughts out there until I hear what students have to say first. Cause I feel like a lot of times 
adults especially use their influence and their power over students to kind of dictate to students' thoughts and kind of force students to have their same opinion. And that's not really how I function. I really want to hear what, what do you have to say? And if factually it's incorrect, I'm going to check you. Um, and if I disagree, I'll say I disagree. And I'll tell you kind of my perspective on it. But I, I never want to have the conversation where a kid feels like they have to believe what Ms. Gilstrap believes. You know, I want them to feel like they have their own thoughts and their own opinions. I'm just here to provide a different perspective for which you can think about and let it marinate on. Um, and, and some of these, they do. And they really appreciate having that perspective. And I think it's so interesting for students to have an adult honor their opinion and validate their opinion. It's very rare that adults do that. And I think that that's something that I just have always done. And I think students appreciate that about me. And when we're having those conversations, I think it's very important to validate students' thoughts and say, you know, where, what do you mean by that? Where, did, where have you heard that? Where'd you get that information from? Um, because I think a lot of times we come to realize that misinformation is everywhere, which we know, but then also kind of helping students see like, okay, like, well, let's, let's look at that website. Let's, let me pull up this website and see this. And then you can show them like, Here's like where the resources are coming from. Here is where they're getting their information from and whether or not the information is from a credible source or not. And so I'm able to have those conversations with them because I'm leading with curiosity versus just like, you're wrong and here's why, you know, really trying to have a conversation where we can like look at these different resources where we can watch different videos and we kind of see, okay, what's different about this video compared to this one? Um, and I think that their English teachers and their you know, history teachers have done a great job to like, start those conversations in their classes. So when we get to advisory, they have a little bit of that background to have even more of a deeper conversation about, okay, well, let's go back to the history of why this is an issue. And how is this played out in your life? And then here's how it's played out in my life and kind of what can we both do about this moving forward? And so I think those conversations are really important to me to have. They've always been important for me to have. And I think that leading with inquiry and really making it a conversation and not a lecture are the things that are important for students to really walk away from those conversations being like, wow, that was powerful. That was life-changing. I'm ready to go take on the world. I love that. Um, <laughs> because teaching kids how to think and how to validate or investigate their resource their sources for anything is huge so I feel like today everything is like well I'm, I saw it on TikTok I saw it on Instagram or like I saw it on the news excuse my language and you're like well what, what, what news station are you watching what website did you get that from because we have adults who are like I saw it it was on the internet I mean literally it was mentioned in a uh congress briefing I, I believe somebody said well I saw it on the internet like okay I saw a lot of things on the internet I mean it was true you scroll to the bottom of a lot of websites, you got a lot of fake ads down there for fake news stories. Um, so I think it's great that you're, you know, okay, let's let's look at that. Like, as my who's in film, I look at commercials or I look at videos, I'm like, okay, but take the music out. Now tell me how how damning this video is to you. It's not, it's just, the, they put music in to make it so much more of an emphasis on whatever emotion they're trying to evoke from you. So I think it's super interesting that you're doing that with your students. Um, I mean, I feel like that's something that Rhodes was good at. I was like, how do you think? And now we're gonna make you investigate everything that you do. Um, so that's dope. And kind of along the lines of technology, we're gonna move on to technology. First, were you guys, did the students, imagine all working from laptops. Did you all, did the students have laptops before the pandemic or was it something that was then provided for them? It was something that was then provided to them. I think 
we really prioritized students who didn't have any technology. So we're like, if you have an iPad, like that can get you by for now. Um, but students who had no technology, we prioritized those students first. And then our students who just had iPads, we then provided Chromebooks for them, as well as internet resources um, and Wi-Fi. And so I think that we're certainly realizing like how important technology is. But I think the op the it's technology is important and we have to teach kids how to use it because I think that it's not what they're used to using. Um, and we just assume, like I remember I talked about this with my fiance all the time, like I remember having computer class in middle school, in elementary school, you know, where we had to like learn how to type and we had to learn how to use the different functions like PowerPoint and all those other things. And those are few and far between now, but we throw technology in schools without teaching kids how to use it. And I think that is something that's become very apparent this year is that that's kind of how students have experienced this is we gave them the technology, but we didn't quite teach them how to use it, um, which has created a whole nother kind of struggle. And so how has it been getting kids to use technology? Was there like, so it happened in March, everybody was on technology or using technology. Um, then come back in August, probably had some learnings. Did you have spend time teaching like how to use certain software, certain programs, or was it kind of like a running down like, y'all had a summer, let's get this going? Yeah, I think it was definitely specific things that we focused on. Um, so with the new software program that we're using for our math department, I watch kids through day one and day two of class on how to log in, how to use it, how to access the different assignments, all those sorts of things. Um, what I didn't do, and I think what we all kind of realized very quickly is there's so many other things that we didn't think to teach kids. And so like Zoom, for example, like how to raise your hand, kids had no idea how to do that. Um, and so that was a big thing. Navigating Google Classroom, you know, realizing that you can have like each week is a different week and how you can go to each specific week, um, how you can access old material on Google Classroom even how to submit work on Google Classroom. Those were all things that I assume kids knew how to do coming in, but they had no idea how to do. And so I had to find resources online to be able to be like, here you go. Um, and so I have like a one pager, it's almost two pages now, which is just like how to do basic things on Google Classroom. Um, because I don't think that I really realized that kids didn't know how to do that. I just assumed they knew. And so there are some things that were like, yes, they definitely know how to do this thing. I'm going to walk them through. And then there were things that as the school year has progressed, we're like, oh, you don't know how to do that. They walk you through how to do that. Um, and so again, it's just a continuous learning cycle when it comes to students using technology. I mean, it's kind of, I've, I've had a run through a gamut of people who are like, oh, we were always using technology. Oh, we just got technology. I think at the outset, regardless, it's kind of pushing students to know how to use technology because that's kind of where things are going. Um, and so it's great that you were able to recognize that, oh, you can't, you don't have to do this. Let me find the resources to do this. Is there a, uh, how do I say this? The guidance technology they're using, what are you, like what has been beneficial for you with the transition to technology? What, how has it helped you and how has it kind of hurt your teaching? I think, Sometimes I over rely on the technology. I think at first I was definitely leaning hard on the technology and not enough of my direct instruction. And I think now it's the opposite where I'm going back to more of my direct instruction I was doing before. And the, the technology is kind of supplementing what I'm covering in class. And so that was a really quick learning that like, one, students need extra support around technology uses, but also nothing is gonna replace a teacher ever. 
And so me being like, all right, I got to go back to what I would get paid to do, which is I have to teach kids directly in direct instruction. And the technology is there to support whatever concept we are covering in class that day. Um, and levering technology within the classroom and not just assigning work on technology and assuming kids are going to do it. Um, I think that was probably my biggest learning from, from all of this. Um, and then also too, thinking through like, how can I streamline the process for kids? Because I think we were doing multiple different things on multiple different platforms and kids were just like, it's too much. And I'm like, got it. So let me put it on this one platform as much as I can to make sure that it's easy for you to access and you understand exactly what you're doing and where you need to go each week. Um, and a lot of that came from the, I feel like at one point I was doing weekly surveys with kids and like, how does this week go? What can I do better this week? Uh, because I think like the student feedback was just really great. And so, and it was nice for kids to see like, oh, wow, like she really is adjusting, you know, class based directly on my feedback. And so they're more apt to give me more feedback. And so it has allowed me to actually kind of foster that collaborative nature in a way that I wasn't really expecting going into this year. Interesting. It's like my teacher's learning. And if I tell her what I want, she might do it. So let me go ahead and speak up because it's just going to help me anyway. And mm -hmm. I want to talk about automation. Like you're teaching math. Math is kind of like there's a yes. It's either right or it's wrong most of the time. How you get there could be different. But the final answer is kind of like cut and dry. Have you found it easier to like get grades done and um, get data of like what's how many people got this wrong, how many people got this right? Is that easier for you now? And do you think that's something? If it is, is that something that she'll do going forward? Yes, absolutely. Grading is is so much like I. Yes, I think the thing that I I wish I could do more of is see the step by step process mm -hmm. because right now only I only get like you said the right or wrong answer. I don't get to see like where was the mistake? And so sometimes what I look at when I'm analyzing data is I see what's the most common misanswer. And then from that most common misanswer, I can kind of tease out, okay, here's what most people got wrong. What did, how, what do kids do? It's almost like a guess and check for me to see, okay, if kids multiply instead of divided, that's how they got the most commonly misanswer. So the next day in class, I'm able to say, hey, on this one problem, in this process, people, you know, did multiplication instead of division. Let's walk through an example together. And so it, again, it's helping me to be able to see what, you know, their responses are and be able to correct their mistakes and then also provide them another opportunity to practice a problem to make sure they really understand the process. And that's the same cycle I go through in person, but not having a grade takes, you know, so much off my plate that I can actually focus on providing, you know, really great direct instruction for the questions they got wrong and then providing really great practice problems for them to do after we review the, mis you know, questions. And so I think it's definitely been great for me um, to not have to spend time grading because like the system grades it for me, but still be able to get the, that analysis that I want to do and be able to plan for the next class accordingly. I mean, even when you are grading in, in, by hand, it's like, okay, I'm grading with 25 papers. How am I going to remember out of the 25 papers, there's 10 problems per paper, there's 250 problems. Am I going to remember that 70% got question seven wrong? Probably not. I mean, I'm not a teacher, but I was assuming. And so this is probably definitely, okay, 10 minutes later, all this is spit out probably quicker than that. They all got number seven wrong. How am I gonna teach number seven tomorrow? Like that just seems so amazing that that's now uh, accessible to you. Um, and you said that you were able to provide Wi-Fi and tablets to students, tablets, Chromebooks to students. Was that, um, 
was were there any issues with students getting access to technology and did you find did the school find okay we really need to beef up like a lot of students have wi-fi and figure out how we're gonna get them wi-fi i think when we first started in march it was a huge struggle to get it um to students for multiple reasons um and i think it was always jarring for me in may when i would get a student email saying i finally have my wi-fi and i'm like we have been virtual since March and you're just now getting your Chromebook in May. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I do for this kid? Like they have done, they've done no work for the past like month and a half. And so it's just, I, I, I think that it was weird to me that that was the case, but I, I know that there were struggles with lots of different things, again, for lots of different reasons. And I think we just kind of freshman this year, you got a Chromebook, you got MiFi, Merry Christmas. You know what I mean? So it was just like, everybody got it. Um, and I think that that is going to be something that becomes more and more of the standard, I hope, for school districts across the country is that as soon as you enter, whether it's high school, middle school, what have you, that you get Wi-Fi and you get a Chromebook because it is becoming so essential that students are provided with these resources. And so I think that that's a switch we made really quickly um, for this new semester. And I'm really happy we did that because I think it allowed kids to all have access to it. And we have like a helpline of kids if their Wi-Fi is out or we have this whole process for them. And so I think streamlining those things as, as best as possible was a learning we had from the spring. But it, there's still days where kids are like, yeah, my Wi-Fi went out and I couldn't call anybody. Um, and it's now three weeks later and I'm finally able to do my work again. But I'm also like not surprised by that now because I had that experience earlier. So I know kind of like, all right, well, here's my plan for you. Let me know if you need help. Um, come to class if you can, but otherwise, like, here you go. Um, let me know how I can support you and kind of take it day by day and case by case. And now you think about it, which is unfortunately, like, say the off chance, they wouldn't have your address. Like, I, I wrote a letter to you to, like, to let you know, like, I didn't have internet. Like, after the first week, I was like, I probably should figure out some kind of way, but I mean, with USPS doing what it's doing, that wouldn't have helped anyway. Um, so let's talk about the future. What are your hopes for next semester? I'm hoping that we can really address the mental health issues that I know my students are dealing with. And I think that I want that to be a priority for us to address those needs, because I think about the kids that are able to come to class are so much better off than the students who are not coming to class. And I know they don't have to. And I, I know that life is happening and people have different circumstances, but I think students that are coming to class feel better because they're able to connect with other people. And time and time again, when we look at the student surveys, it says like, I'm happy I came to class because like, even though I didn't know what was going on because I didn't do the work, which happens sometimes, at least I was there and I was able to like distract myself from my issues. And I feel like I'm honestly the same way some days where like lots of things are happening. Like I've experienced a lot of loss this year um, and a lot of struggles and up and downs in my own personal life. And there's days that are harder to get out of bed than others. And so, but when I know I have my students in front of me and a student makes a joke in the chat or a student gets really excited because they got the answer right and they raise their hand and I'm like, you have never raised your hand in the Zoom classroom or your camera's on for the first time ever. Like those are the moments that hype me up and give me life. And I know that's the same for, for students as well. So it's just getting kids to come to class to engage, even if they don't you know, actively participate, just being able to kind of feel some semblance of normalcy I think it's going to help them mental health wise. Um, but I think that dealing with those mental health struggles is going to be so important for us because 
when it comes to catching kids up academically, like that's what teachers have been doing for decades. You know, we, we're used to, I got you, this group that's working on this one thing, this group that's working on this other thing, and I'm pushing this group to do this other thing. You know, like we know how to do those kinds of things to get kids up to the level they need to be at. What we need to focus on right now is really the students' mental health. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully engaging more students and having more students feel good about coming to school. And then from there, the sky's the limit. You know, the foundation is just, do you feel okay? I think about like the hierarchy of needs. And so like right now we're trying to be up here when our kids are, don't even have that base level taken care of, you know? And I think that we, we have to deal with that first and thinking about ways and working with my colleagues to deal with that so that we can push our students as we close out this next school year. Well, I hope you're able to keep that because it seems like a, a multifaceted issue to, to figure out, but I hope that you guys are able to at least put a dent in that. Are there plans for you all to return to the classroom? So right now, um, the school district that I'm in, we have made the decision not to return and, and for quarter three. And so um, that means that if we do return for the last quarter of the school year, we will return in, in April um, with like two months left in the school year. And so I don't know if that's going to be the reality. Um, I think with Illinois and Chicago's numbers being kind of all over the place, I don't know if that's going to be a reality um, with the, the vaccine not being super you know, readily available like we thought it would be. That just might not be a, a reality. And so um, I would love to, to see my students, um, especially the 12th graders, because I think I have a very special connection to the 12th graders that are, that are 12th graders this year. Um, but I, I also know like we, we have to be safe and their health and their futures and you know the health of their families is really important to all of us and so I as much as I want to be in person I know that kids do too they miss each other they miss us teachers I think it's all about like doing what's best for for their health and their safety at this time. Gotcha in your career you are a teacher right now in ED for a nonprofit. after COVID um are your aspirations still the same to be a teacher or have you kind of like maybe had some other ideas of things you might want to do instead? Yeah, I think I, school leadership is definitely something that I'm interested in. I think seeing how schools have functioned and seeing how different schools have functioned over the course of my career um, has allowed me to kind of think about like, what does the ideal school look like? What should school be ideally? And so I think being part of maybe designing how a school could look is something that is very interesting to me in terms of my career. Um, pursuing a full-time ED role with a nonprofit is something that is definitely an interest to me. I am really excited about the opportunity to grow, you know, Lions Pride from the three schools we're currently at to all over the city of Chicago. I believe in the program. I founded it in 2017. And it is something that's really important to me. I've seen students go from, like I said, you know, being a mentee in ninth grade to being a mentor in 12th grade and having all this confidence and all this wisdom that they want to just share with their mentee. And I think that that is something I'm really passionate about, as well as developing our students for the future. Um, I think a lot about the Toni Morrison quote, where she talks about what she tells her students, which is that, you know, if you are free, your job is to free someone else. You know, if you have some power, your job is to empower someone else. And so I think when I look back on my life, um, I think about the people in my high school, I think about people at Rhodes who poured into me and empowered me and just mentored me to give me the skills that I have today. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity to help 
you know, other high school students, maybe that person for them. And then also for them to be that person for a ninth grade student. And so I think as long as I'm developing students in a positive way and encouraging them to be leaders of tomorrow, I think that the, the sky's the limit in like what I could do for the rest of my life. But I think my purpose is truly to develop youth um, to be the leaders of tomorrow to make this world a better place. And Lions Pride is a mentorship program. Um, is it more academic? Is it more around the whole child? Like what is the, give me a little bit more about Lions Pride. Yeah, so we definitely emphasize developing the whole student. Uh, we do have our social emotional learning curriculum that we utilize, which is definitely focused on everything from career exploration to time management to mental health and how to kind of check in with yourself. Um, as well as dealing with peer pressure and relationships and social media. And so our lessons cover kind of the experience of a student and what are the tools we can get you to navigate those different spaces with success and with as less stress as possible. Uh, and so I'm really excited about being able to leverage the strength of students to be able to have those conversations. I think a lot of times when it comes to mentorship organizations, you have adults mentoring students, which is really important. And I think there's definitely a space for that. And I've benefited from those programs, you know, in my past when I was growing up. But I think there's something really special about you learning from someone who has been there before. Like I think about myself as an adult, I've been at my school for six years now. I have no idea what it's like to be a ninth grader in my colleagues' classes, but the 12th graders do. And so when they are working with their ninth grade mentees, they can be like, oh, well, I know how to do this because I took that class before. And here's how I was able to study for tests in that class. And here's how I was able to find success in that class in a way that adults just can't speak to. Mm -hmm. And I also think when it comes to empowering our youth, it really has to start in schools because sometimes students you know, tend to disengage the older they get, especially in high school. And so I think that this is a really great opportunity to re-engage our upperclassmen students to realize that you have a strength, you have wisdom, you have knowledge, and it's important for you to always share that with other people, regardless of the space that you are in. I mean, Scott, like, just because I mean, as freshmen, maybe this is more in college, when you're picking your classes for sophomore year, you're like, you're going to talk to those upper class, like, oh, hey, did you take this class? How was the teacher? How was the grading? Uh, how did they grade? Or what was the homework like? You're kind of like, well, let's make this a little more formal. Let's give you a person to go to, to talk to, that's going to help you, um, guide you where you need to go. And then all the others, I mean, social media is huge. I mean, I feel like when I was in high school, we didn't have as much social media to deal with <laughs> at all. So like, I wouldn't even be able to tell a student, like, you should do this. I mean, I could, but I mean, I don't know how you experience that as a, as a high school student. So yeah, I think that's very a great thing to have and a great tool for these students to have to reach out to have older students to talk to and not have to go find the student one is just provided to them um and we're gonna just speaking of you personally how has COVID impacted you oh yeah that it's quite the question i have i would say in march there were days where i didn't leave my bed um because it's just the weight of everything just fell on me. Um, and there were days where I was so motivated and so inspired because of my students that I just worked. And so I think that the past nine months has just been a combination of both of those things where I, I'm just like, if I stop and think about it for too long, I can't function because it's just, it's too much, it's so much. 
And on top of COVID, like I think about, you know, all these struggles that we've had, and it's not new, you know, when it comes to racism in this country um, and those experiences that, you know, black and brown people have in this country. But I think that my my mindset has shifted a lot because I think about the others around me, like, you know, my fiance is a black male. And I think about him walking, you know, downtown. And I think about him, he, he works night shifts. And so him leaving work late at night as a black man, you know, walking around. I think about my students. I think about them and them being, you know, black and brown kids walking around the city at night um, and their experiences that they have. And so I, I think that those things have also kind of made me feel lots of things and me struggling with, you know, balancing everything. And so I think I really have learned to be patient with myself and take those days when like, all right, you're waking up, you're having struggle getting out of bed. Cool. It's going to be a no camera day in class today, (laughs) you know, Um, or you're feeling great. Let's get as much done as we can. Cause we know like we might have a day where we're struggling. So let's try to like push through whatever we can. Um, And just extending grace to myself the same way I do to my students. And I think that teachers in general during this time, like we're expected to do so much and be this rock when like we ourselves are experiencing the same things our kids are, especially black teachers during this time. Like as a black woman during this time has been so difficult. You know, I, I feel for my students and I'm going through the same things. I've experienced some of the same things that they've experienced when it comes to racism in this country. I have lost people during this time, not necessarily to COVID, but I know what it's like to, to lose someone and not be able to go to the funeral or to lose someone and not be able to fully support your family the way you want to. Um, and that was one of the hardest ones for me. My, my mom's father, my grandfather passed away very early on to COVID and I couldn't go home to support my mom. And I think that that is something that was really hard and very difficult for me um, was the loss that I've experienced over this year and not being able to fully support the people I care about while they're experiencing loss, while I'm experiencing loss and not being able to properly grieve because like, I got to go teach a class the next day. And there's, I mean, there is, there's time off, but there really is no time off when you're virtual because you can teach from anywhere. Um, and so I think that, that those boundaries I've realized are so important to have and to allow myself to feel what I feel and not, you know, feel guilty about it or punish myself when I'm feeling those things. Um, but it, it's been a roller coaster. Like I have had the most 2020, 2020, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it, it's, it's been a year and, um, I'm really excited about next year, but I also know that these things are going to continue and I have to continue to adapt and adjust the same way I've adapted and adjusted all year. Uh. All you said, I have similar situations and I completely agree and I empathize with you. And I I don't have a group of students to add to that. So I just can't even imagine what, and I I don't know if I've met your mother, I've definitely met your sister. I kind of of get your family uh, dynamic. So like, I definitely see where that would be a huge issue for you. So I'm I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. Um, I want, I just want to switch to a little happier moment. You're the game now. You're engaged. That happened recently, I believe. It, um, yes, it happened in this this midst of this year. Um, okay. It happened earlier in the in the summer, and so it's been 
exciting. Like we have been together for over two years now. Um, and he is a great person. I just, I can't imagine like not being with him. Um, so he is a hospital chaplain. So we both have very stressful jobs and we're very much like in, in it when it comes to being COVID. Um, he actually got his vaccine yesterday. So, cause he works in hospitals. Um, so we're part one of his, of his vaccine. And so, um, that's what a struggle for him as well. Like he, one shift, like we try to text during his shifts and one shift, like, I was like, are you, are you okay? You have a text me in a while. And he was like, I just went to straight deaths. Like he had nine deaths back to back to back. And so part of his job is dealing with kind of, um, end of life paperwork, um, for people as well as providing spiritual guidance to families, um, and supports to families when someone, um, passes away. And so he was like, yeah, I just had nine straight COVID patients that I had to take care of. And so, um, it's been hard for both of us dealing with both of that. And so we've definitely been intentional around um, like creating date nights, which look very different now because we can't go anywhere. <laughs> but uh, we've renewed our love of board games and video games. Um, we do yoga together sometimes. And so I think that it's been nice having someone to go through this with. Like I, I really happy to have someone who kind of understands what I'm going through. Um, and you can be a support for me and, um, the days when I'm having a bad day, it's like, he takes care of, he takes care of everything. And when he has a bad day, I take care of everything. And so just having a partner, um, I feel like this is great premarital work that we're doing being in a pandemic together. Um, because I think that this is just, it, it just has really set us up to get to know each other in ways that we didn't know before and, um, figure out how we function in a partnership. Um, and so I'm excited to think about my wedding and planning those things. I think we've kind of tried to put it off because we're like, we don't know if we'll be able to have a real wedding and like, what does that even look like? Um, but it's, it's been an exciting journey and um, I'm really looking forward to being officially married um, and kind of like starting the next chapter of my life. It's like so weird, like I'm going to be 30 next year and like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just, life is happening. Life is happening and it's, ugh, life is being life, but it's, but it's good. And I think I have to lean into and enjoy the, the great moments when they happen. It is definitely happening. Um, wow. His profession, so your profession, what do y'all, you mentioned like what you guys are doing, like how you guys supporting each other. Is there anything specifically that you're doing to support your mental health? So I have started doing Duolingo. I started in March when the pandemic first, like lockdown first happened. Um, and so I, I do Duolingo every day, which sounds really bizarre. I, but this is, I'm, this is me. Like I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning. Um, I have kind of been the French club advisor at my school for the past couple of years. And so I was like, I should probably actually learn like brush up on my French a little bit more. Um, and so I do that every single day and it's just like been a life changer for me to be able to, you know, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's five minutes, like I do do only every day and just having that ritual to like ground myself in like the present. Cause it's like, you can't focus on anything else when you're trying to learn another language. Um, and so that has been something that's been very good for me. Um, my fiance is really into journaling. Like he has a, a daily journal where they give him a prompt and he answers it. Um, and so he's really big into journaling. I also have tried to read every day. 
Um, that doesn't always happen, but reading has been something that I found a, a renewed love of. Um, and then we love like Top Chef. We've watched all the seasons of Top Chef. Um, we're now watching Top Chef Masters because they were, we've run out of the regular Top Chef seasons. Um, and so I think that while it's important for us to do things together, we also have recognized that we do need separate time to do things like he likes to play certain video games and I don't want to watch him play or I don't want to play. And like, I like watching HGTV and like, he's not always into watching HGTV. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of couples don't really think about is having that separate time and you need that time for yourself. Um, or like having, like, I have phone calls with my friends and he has phone calls with his friends. And I think that having that balance and separation, even though we can't physically really go anywhere is also really important for us. Um, I think people in general, just having some space for yourself, even when you're in a relationship. Nice. And for those who don't know, Duolingo is an app where you can learn a different language. They have so many different languages you can learn on there. Um, I skipped over something that just hit me. Um, Lion's Pride, how can we support? Oh, yes. So we are um, online. So lionpride.org. Um, we're online. And so I think our website, there's a place for you to donate. Um, if you're in the Chicago area, we are definitely looking to partner with some more schools. Um, we're really based in Chicago for right now, but definitely interested if you're anywhere um, to, to email me. Um, your interest in, in partnering with us. Um, also, if you just want to learn more about us, um, I did a panel for Giving Tuesday that is on our YouTube channel, Lions Pride Chicago. And so you can see um, the panel with me. We have a principal, a student, and a staff member. Um, they, we talk about virtual learning, and we also talk about Lions Pride. And so if you're interested in hearing more about us, please visit um, our YouTube channel to watch the video or visit our website. Um, and then definitely reach out to me and contact me if you're interested in, in getting involved and hearing more about how we can partner together. Got it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to this interview before we close? Just I'm really happy to, to be here and talk about my experiences. And I think that experiences of teachers are very different depending on where our schools are located out of this country. And I hope that one day you know, the quality of a student's education is not dictated by their zip code and that these experiences are, are normalized across the board where teachers have very similar experiences and not as varied and different as they currently are. Um, and that supporting students and supporting teachers means voting with that in mind and thinking about them in every decision that you make when it comes to financial decisions and when it comes to where your support lies. Got it. Um, if anybody wants to follow you, social media, Lions Pride, give another plug one more time for yourself and for Lions Pride. Yeah, so my social media handles are artistic J Gill, which I might have to change when I get married because I'm probably gonna change my last name. Um, <laughs> it's artistic uh, underscore J Gill. Um, and then for Lions Pride, uh, our social media handles are Lions Pride Shy. All right. So first off, I want to say thank you, Jasmine, for sitting down to this interview with me. I uh, really appreciate it. You adding your perspective and especially from Chicago. So I think you're my first and maybe only teacher from Chicago um, of the great state of Illinois, of course. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what I am from Illinois. 
Um, but I also want to thank you for what you're doing for our students. Uh, your perspective and what you're doing, the mentorship program, um, the way you're meeting students where they're at and being flexible for what their needs are because some of them have to work right now is amazing. And the fact that you're working over a pandemic and as I said before, you are a huge influence on our students before they become adults. And I, I haven't prefaced this, but I keep saying our students because we all should be helping them to become the greatest adults that they can. Um, but you have that direct effect and I want to thank you for that. Thank you for your work during the pandemic and just being a teacher um, and taking this ridiculous amount of disrespect that you may be getting right now or just seeing online that is un, um, unwarranted and should not be happening. So I'm glad you were able to share your story and I wanna thank you again for sharing that story with us. Great, thank you. It was really exciting to be a part of this. If you wanna learn more about Project Teachers Lounge or check out some exclusive content, head over to lunchtraymedia.com slash Project Teachers Lounge.